0: have to go through all these works and all this stuff to beat yourself, all this other stuff to try to do extra good, somehow to break free from this fear of death. And what the writer of Hebrews reminds us is that Jesus Christ, through
1: his death, has overcome death. And we don't need to fear death. We don't need to be a slave. We shall overcome Jesus promises his resurrection and encourages his disciples that their sorrow will turn to joy as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Hello and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast. One of the most prolific gospel songs associated with social justice movements through the years has been, We Shall Overcome. The words are quite simple, yet these simple words brought about unity and resolve in the face of injustice and oppression. We shall overcome, we shall overcome, we shall overcome someday. Oh, deep in my heart I do believe, we shall overcome someday. As Christ explains in our lesson for this week, we will face a lot of trouble in this life, but that trouble will last for a moment, and we will no longer need to fear sin death and the devil, because he has overcome them all, and in him we too shall overcome. Before we turn it over to Father Ward, we would like to say thank you for your time as you tune in each week. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by the content of this podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. And if you have enjoyed what you're hearing from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a five-star rating and review. Your positive feedback will help us reach more people with this podcast. And now, with this week's lesson in the Gospel of John, here is Father Ward.
0: So, Jesus says this, and then he says, oh, verse 9, he kind of unpacks it. I already kind of unpacked it for you, but concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. So the righteousness part, that, that phrase that he is saying is that concerning righteousness because of my life, and then I go back to the Father, I'm perfect. But you, the reason why I'm going back to the Father too is because I'm being killed because of the sin of the world. Now, of course, Jesus is not overcome by man. He lays down his life willingly. But the fact of the matter is, that he was killed because of our sin. And even though he was found guilty by the religious uh, rulers, he wasn't guilty. He was an innocent man. And he was totally righteous. And then concerning judgment, verse 11, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So, where does Satan come in on this? Satan is the great accuser. And so he can stand before God and accuse us. Because he knows God is holy and just and God cannot lie. And God said, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not live you shall surely die. If God is a just God and if God does not lie, then there has to be payment for the sin of man. And so Satan can accuse us and continue to accuse us unless our sin problem is taken care of. And he can say to God the Father, hey, they're guilty. But because of what Jesus does, because of his righteousness, and he goes to the cross and then he goes to the Father, the ruler of this world, the God of this world, Satan, stands condemned. That's why if you're in Christ, we have victory over the devil. Remember Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, um, he saw Satan fall like lightning, and he says, I've given you power to tread over every serpent and scorpion and over all the wickedness of the earth. But don't rejoice that you have power over evil, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Again, what's always most important is our relationship with God, because it's by virtue of our relationship with God that we have that authority and power over evil. Now, there are a few verses, among many, that deal with how Satan is condemned. I love these. Colossians 2, 13-15. When you were dead in your transgressions, Paul writes, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So there's our sin problem. He, that is God the Father, made you alive together with Him, that's Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. So in a court of law, we had all these decrees against us. Every human being who who, um, comes to the age of accountability. Uh, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So that he is the father. So when the father had disarmed the rulers and authorities, the rulers and authorities are not the Jewish rulers and authorities here. These are the spiritual forces of wickedness. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. Now, why do we know this is a spiritual? If you read more of the context of the letter, you'll see that obviously, and the way Paul is using the Greek, it's spiritual. But God did not triumph over the religious leaders. I mean, He did spiritually with the resurrection, but they still lived their lives. That's why I believe Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem. That's why I believe the Roman Empire is going to be revived. Because the first time, Jesus took care of the inner man and the problem of sin. The second time, he's going to take care of not just rectifying what's wrong in the heart, but rectifying everything that's wrong on the outside. The first time, he was kicked out of Jerusalem. The second time, he's entering Jerusalem triumphantly. The first time, the Gentiles and the Jews made a mockery of him. The second time he's going to come and save the Jews, and he's going to make a mockery of the Gentiles. And so when we talk about, when we look at this verse, he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. That is a public display for the universe to see. Because remember, there's angelic beings, and not all angelic beings follow God. So just as there's natural evil, there's spiritual evil. And then the last two verses I love from Hebrews, and I made it, I always make, there's always some correction after I print these things. Um, I have Hebrews uh, 2, 13, and 14. It should be Hebrews 2, 14, and 15. Anyway, I love this. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, that is Jesus, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Now, why did the devil have power of death? God gave that power to him. By virtue of the fact of what we did, because we rebelled, we therefore were open to the deception of the devil because we put our faith in what the devil said rather than what God said. and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Now that fear of death, what that does is it motivates people to do certain things. So one of the ways that mankind has responded as a result of this fear of death, is to come up with all of these false ideas. of Different gods competing in the universe, of us having to sacrifice people to somehow appease them, to have to go through all these works and all this stuff, to beat yourself, all this other stuff, to try to do extra good, somehow to break free from this fear of death. And what the writer of Hebrews reminds us is that Jesus Christ through His death, has overcome death. And we don't need to fear death. We don't need to be its slave. So let's keep reading. Any questions so far? Verse 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak And He will disclose to you what is to come. So there's the ministry of the Holy Spirit guiding us in the truth. You know, the Holy Spirit will work with us once we're open, once we're not full of ourselves, once we humble ourselves before God, once we acknowledge that we need His help, the Holy Spirit will start to work. But the Holy Spirit needs something to work with. So if I'm not in the Word, not spending time with God, it's hard for the Holy Spirit to work. He'll still be working, but it will be hanging on the door of your heart. Come on. Get with it. Stop being distracted. And notice what he's going to do. He's going to guide us into all truth. But notice that he's not speaking on his own initiative. He's not doing something apart from the Son and the Father. It's all in unison. And he's going to disclose, to. he can disclose what's to come in the future. And that parallels what the Holy Spirit did in the Old Testament when the prophets could predict the future of what God would do. He will glorify me. He's going to glorify Christ, not bring attention to ourselves or other people. That's one of the ways you can test a ministry. A ministry is good. Jesus said you're going to know something by, just as you know a tree by its fruit, or a uh, you know um, a plant by its fruit, a bush or whatever. I don't know why I'm going on this. It's a fig tree. Um, you can know a ministry and a person by the fruit they produce. So, we talked about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the fruit, right, of good works. We talk, talked about the fruit of bringing others into the kingdom. But ultimately, is Jesus getting the glory? Or is the institution? You're viewing the church as like an institution. That's why there's one church where people really get off the rails. They're like, oh, no, it's not the Word of God that's most important. You know, it's with the church tradition and the church because, well, the church kind of, not kind of, they said the church gave us the Bible. No, the Word came first before the church. The church is under the Word of God. The church is under Jesus Christ. The church isn't coming back for you and me. Jesus is coming back for you and me. And so, the Holy Spirit's not going to contradict the Word, and the Holy Spirit's not going to contradict Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's always going to glorify Jesus, point us to Jesus. There's 15. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Isn't that an awesome way to wrap this part up about the Holy Spirit. So not only did Jesus focus about how the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us, but he says, all that are mine are the Father's. So in the same way, the Holy Spirit's revealing to us the Father. Again, the unison work of the Holy uh, the Trinity. Okay, now in the third section, Jesus then focuses on the resurrection and what that means for his disciples and us. So the first was, about the world the second was about the holy spirit now he talks about his death and resurrection verse 16 a little while and you will no longer see me and again a little while and you will see me now of course the disciples really had no clue of what he's talking about here at this point some of the disciples then said to one another what is this thing he is telling us a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me and because i go to the father So they were saying, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, so this again shows us, this is an ongoing conversation, this is over a period of time. Because it wasn't like Jesus was sitting, was there, and all of you were like here, and he was just talking for an hour No, That he would share some things, and then the disciples would be talking amongst themselves, and Jesus knew what they were already talking about, what they were questioning And so he says to them, are you deliberating together about this that I said a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 20, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. Isn't that awesome? So there's a, this is kind of multi-layered as most all the word is. You're you're looking at now the immediate reality that they can't fully understand it, but what Jesus is referring to is that in just a few hours, I'm going to be arrested. Then you're going to witness me being beaten and then executed, crucified, and then buried and wondering what happened. And we know that they all forsook Jesus and fled. But then in just a couple days, on Sunday... That was going to all change. And for someone who has gone through terrible hardship and uncertainty and doubt, and then to have it all totally turned around, that's about the highest high one can experience in life. Now Jesus likens it to a mother and childbirth. And for the women here, the moms who have gone through it, you know what he's talking about. That is it's agonizing. It's rough. You don't know if you can get through it. There's uncertainty there. But then once your child is born, for the most part, it's worth it. Right? There's great joy. And so, that's a reality that Jesus was conveying to them that they couldn't fully understand, but they would in just a few days. And then the other layer would be our own personal lives. That when we look at life, You know, there's when that baby comes and when we have our child, we want the best for our child, but we know that they're going to go through hardships. They're going to go through struggle. And sometimes it's going to be of their own doing, and sometimes it's not. They're going to be innocently affected. We've all been there. And while we want to protect our children, and some parents overprotect their children, and, and we don't want... Anybody in our society is becoming increasingly this way. Don't let anything negative happen to the person, you know, kind of insulate them. That's not healthy. That's not how you really mature or grow. You've got to face some hardship. The truth of the Scriptures, the truth of what Jesus is saying to us as believers, is that not only is that true in the natural sense, hence a mother and her child in the physical realm, but it's also true in the spiritual sense. That if we're going to have spiritual growth and maturity, it's going through those times of testing and trial. And what the Scriptures always remind us is that keep going, keep pushing, you're going to get through it, good's going to come from it, you're going to get that joy, you might You know, that's why there's that wonderful, and I think it's Lamentations. You know, weeping may spend the night, or is that Psalms? I forgot. But joy comes in the morning, right? Weeping may spend the night, but joy comes in the morning. Sunday's on its way. There's always a new tomorrow with the Lord. That's how we get through it. And that's why I said last week that one of the arguments for abortion is that it is a way to alleviate economic suffering and, and the hardship of, of couples and, and people, etc., etc. In fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm going to share it because it's public knowledge. But do you remember New Covenant Tabernacle in the 80s? It was a really growing church. In fact, I went there for about three years, from 86 to 89. And the Shank brothers, Paul was the senior pastor, and there were four other pastors, and all great guys, men of God, and his brother, Rob, was um their evangelist and his brother rob would go to mexico and, and minister to the people in the garbage dumps they were doing really good stuff then uh, about 1990-91 came along and you and there was um a movement in the country called operation rescue of uh, trying to blockade the abortion clinics and bring attention to it and it got pretty heated and there were protesters on both sides and they were you know, yelling at one another, and not so much the Christians. The Christians weren't yelling, but what I meant is that they were getting spat on and all sorts of stuff. But there was some anger uh, within that group, too, the Christian group, and, and you had a number of, uh, like even locally, a, a, a doctor uh, murdered, right, because of his stand, the doctor slept in. But as a result of, and a lot of the pastors were arrested, as a result of the Shank Brothers' involvement in Operation Rescue, New Covenant really struggled. And the church kind of um, almost imploded. And I don't know all the details somewhere because I was in Virginia uh, after 89 for six years, so I wasn't there during that whole um, thing. But the reason why I bring this up is that do you know that Rob Shank now has gone the other way? Believe it or not, he had an op-ed in the New York Times who bas- that basically justified abortion and it's okay to be on both sides of the fence and use the argument from economics which is which is shocking because here is a man who is right in the forefront now his brother paul kind of went the other extreme he became a roman catholic priest i don't know if you know that or not very involved in the pro-life movement now here's a guy both of them jewish messianic jews you know on fire for the lord and assemblies of god church and they've gone in Different directions. But my point is, as I made last week, one of the arguments of why we need to do what we're doing, even though there is going to be situations where it isn't maybe not the best thing for the woman, maybe not the best thing for the context of the family, et cetera, et cetera. You can always have justifications for things that seem to be the better way. But from my reading of Scripture, and please, if anybody can find me a passage. In all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I cannot find one instance in the scriptures where God says to take the easy way out. Nowhere. It's always the road less traveled. It's always the harder road. It's not easy. That's why Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you got to what? Take up your cross. You got to what? Deny self. You got to be willing to die daily. So. There's going to be that hardship, but joy comes in the morning. Verse 23. In that day you will not question me about anything. That is the day after he rises again. They will not need to. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. There's going to be that access after the cross. They're not going to need Jesus to be walking with them like he did for three years. They can go directly to the Father because of Him and because the Holy Spirit's in them. Verse 24, Until now you have asked for nothing in My name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. So as we start to ask and seek the Lord, we start to see His power at work. You have not because you asked not, Jesus said, right? If I'm not in tune with God, if I'm not seeking the Lord, if I'm not praying, if I'm not being aware, I can't see Him at work. I I have my blinders on, and there I'm not going to have any joy. My faith's not going to increase. The joy's going to come as we start to see the Lord work, but the Lord's not going to work unless we start seeking Him. Verse 25, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, an hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father after the resurrection. And that day you will ask in my name and I do not say to you that I will request to the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me have believed that I came forth from the Father. Isn't that great? It's not just a relation with Jesus, the Son. It's a relation with the Father. It's not just Jesus who loves us, who calls us friends. It's the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. Remember also, Jesus said earlier, I had the quote, greater things than these you will do in my name. One of the reasons why Jesus had to go to the Father is because Jesus can only do what he was limited to do in the flesh as a person walking the dusty roads of Judea and Samaria and Galilee. Now with the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is in billions of people greater things than these will you do in my name verse 29 I think I left off at that his disciples said lo now you are speaking plainly or not using a figure of speech now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you by this we believe that you came from God now see there certain say oh yes this is we can we can get it this is sounding really good. We believe, Lord. We trust you. Mm, they do, but not fully. Jesus says, you can feel the tension in Jesus because he appreciates their love for him, but he knows it's not strong enough. Jesus asks them, do you now believe? Behold, an is coming has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. So Jesus is going to experience abandonment by those closest to Him. He's predicting it. He knows what's really in their heart. Not that they're, you know, they're not good men. Not that they're not faithful, but the faith isn't strong enough. Even though they say it with their head. Now isn't that true about the body of Christ? You know how many people have said certain things to me, yeah, 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 but they don't follow through. Jesus, though, understands that though his disciples will forsake him or scatter, won't be faithful, his Father will. His Father won't leave him. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Verse 33, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Remember Jesus said earlier, my peace I leave with you, my own peace I give you. Remember what we always close the liturgy oftentimes with, right? From Philippians 4-7, Paul wrote, you know, the peace of God, we're surpassing all understanding, keep and guard your hearts and minds in the knowledge of God and of the love of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, right? The peace is found in the relationship with Christ. And we need that peace because why? In the world, you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. So not only do we have peace in Christ, But because we have the peace of Christ, we can have courage. We can have confidence. Thank you. It's 8 o'clock. Good man. And so, we have the conclusion of the teaching portion, the direct teaching portion of Jesus that's recorded by John. And next week, He's still teaching, but in a different way. Next week we have the final prayer of Jesus. You know, we always think of the Lord's prayer as the Our Father. But this is the second part. This is what's often called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's in much more detail. There's more depth to it. It really is a culmination of what he had just shared in the context of prayer and, again, our relationship with the Father through the Son and what should be true of us as the body of Christ as we face the hostility of the world and as we face the realm of Satan and the demonic.
1: You have been listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. To learn more about our church, please visit stbartston.org. Again, that's stbartston.org. You can also connect with St. Bartholomew's on Facebook and Instagram through the handle at St. Barth's Anglican Church. And you can connect with this podcast through at Transforming Lives Together Cast. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Until then, we leave you with these verses from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless.